Bible to Proverbs chapter 1. That is where we will be today in Proverbs uh, chapter 1. As you're turning there, um, Scott mentioned in his prayer that we have uh, youth away this week and, and also the college students. So continue to think about them and pray for them. Um, also, something else you could be uh, praying for is many of you will remember Patrick and Becky Patterson, who were residents here. Uh, Becky had uh, their second child over the weekend. They had uh, Oliver. So uh, they are living in East Asia with two kids under, right at two, and uh, continuing to serve there. So continue to pray for them. It's great to have uh, those connections elsewhere. You ready to dive in together? Great. Last Sunday, we talked about the fact that we live as people in an information-rich age. Our access to data is without equal in the history of humanity. Knowledge is available literally at the click of a button, right? Any fact we would need, Siri can probably tell us. But all this knowledge that we have access to, we said, isn't making for a better world necessarily. That's because information alone is not sufficient to deal with the complexities of life. Simply having more knowledge won't necessarily fix the challenges of the world. Good information is great, but it's not enough. We need something more. And that something more, the scripture tells us, is wisdom. And so God in his kindness 3,000 years ago gave humanity the book of Proverbs, that we could study it to know him and to know how to live thoughtfully in his world. So we're going to spend the next several months in this book together. It's really, really practical. On every page of the book of Proverbs, we find the wall that we sometimes erect between faith and everyday life being torn down. We find that the things of God are actually immensely practical for day-to-day decisions that we make. We also said last week that wisdom is skill for life. It's not something ethereal to stick on a shelf and talk about in a philosophical way. It's more than nuts and bolts of how we go about living every day. Wisdom understands what to do in the myriad of situations in which the commands of God don't directly apply. So an illustration of that, um, I learned this last weekend that um, my mom is coming in tomorrow. Uh, I have one remaining uh, grandparent that's still alive, and she's continuing to advance in Alzheimer's and uh, lives in Peoria, and she needs to be moved from a basically assisted care to a full-time nursing facility because she can't take care of herself anymore. And for months, my mom and her brothers have been agonizing over that decision because she doesn't want to go. As many of you know, it's tough dealing with an aging parent. Um, The commands of God don't tell her when to move her mom, do they? The, The Bible doesn't answer that question. The Bible says to her as a child, honor your parents. But it doesn't say honor them in this way by moving her to this facility at this point in time with this kind of care. That's simply left up to the wisdom and discretion of Christians 
as we read books like Proverbs together and try to make wise decisions. So that's what Proverbs is ultimately about. How do we take the instructions of God, process them through eyes of faith, and make decisions that are often complex in which there is no easy right or wrong answer? If we think of it that way, then wisdom may be that biggest need that we didn't realize we have. Because the majority of situations we face in life are going to be questions of wisdom. Do you want to learn how to think well as a Christian? Do we want to be members of a church that encourage each other in our vocations, in our schooling? Do we want to live skillfully in life, making as little messes as possible? Do we want to know what will happen in really practical things like if we sleep too much, or if we work hard, or if we're thoughtless with our tongues, or if we happen to go through every day without thinking of God? What will become of our lives if we live like that? Proverbs tells us. It's immensely practical. So we're going to spend uh, roughly four, four and a half months together just walking through different portions of the book together. But today I just want to ask an introductory question, which is this. Where does wisdom come from? If that's what wisdom is, which is what we talked about last week, then where, where is the source of wisdom? What is its foundation? What is it built on? Where does it come from? That's what we'll talk about this morning. Now, you're sitting in a church building, in a worship gathering, listening to a sermon. So you'd expect me to say what? Wisdom comes from God. Very well. Are we ready to go home? (laughs) But what specifically about God leads to wisdom? Obviously, you'd expect me to say God. That's what the preacher is supposed to say. But what about God himself is the thing that leads to wisdom? That might be a little more surprising to you. The book of Proverbs makes a shocking claim. It says that if we want to become wise people, if we want true knowledge and understanding, then we start not with the love of God, but with the fear of God. Isn't that weird? That is the complete opposite way that we would think about that. If I could say it again, if we want to become wise people, if we want true knowledge and understanding, the book of Proverbs tells us that we start not with the love of God, but with the fear of God. Fourteen times in Proverbs, this phrase, the fear of the Lord, occurs. It's a central theme throughout the book. That's why in our introductory series into Proverbs, we want to spend a whole Sunday on it. Proverbs says that the beginning, the foundation, the starting point, the gateway into wisdom is the fear of God. Let's look at that together in Proverbs 1 and verse 1. Proverbs 1, 1. The Proverbs of Solomon... Son of David, King of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealings, in righteousness, justice, equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. 
And the one who understands obtained guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord. If we go outside the book of Proverbs to the rest of the Bible, over 150 times the Scripture tells us to fear God. It is an overwhelming topic. It's everywhere in the Scriptures. And it's almost nowhere in our vocabulary. Listen to a few other passages from Proverbs. They'll be on the screens. Proverbs 15, 16 says, Better is a little with fear of the Lord than a great treasure and trouble with it. Or Proverbs 19, The fear of the Lord leads to life. Whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. And maybe the most famous one from Proverbs, Proverbs 9, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs is clear that the bedrock of a wise life is not first built on the idea that God loves me, but that God is to be feared. Does that sound as weird to you as it does to me? That is not the way we think about God. But Proverbs is emphasizing that wisdom starts with a reverential awe of God. Fear is to wisdom what the alphabet is to reading. All true knowledge starts with a proper understanding of who God is. So all that I want to do this morning in our remaining time is try to unpack that phrase a little bit for you, the fear of the Lord, and in hopes that God would help us to understand. So we're going to ask three questions about that phrase. First, what is it? Because it's not in our vernacular. It's not something that's talked about much today. What is the fear of the Lord? Second, why is that the foundation of wisdom? It's so countercultural. So we've got to stop and slow down and ask some questions about why would God say that's first? And then third, how do we get it? If it's this important, and if we need wisdom, then how do we get it? So what is it? What's the foundation of it? And how do we get it? Let's start with the first. What is the fear of the Lord? When the book of Proverbs holds up the fear of God and says it's a desirable thing, it's the entrance into a knowledgeable, wise life, it's talking about a particular meaning of the word fear. I'm not sure what you think of when you hear the word fear, but in my uh, time as your pastor and in conversations with you, there's lots of different images that come to our minds when we think of fear, isn't there? Many of those are negative things. Some of you, for example, might think of, of this. Here's a picture of a home. Maybe when you think of fear, you think of your days growing up. Maybe there was an abusive parent. And so when you think of fear, you don't think of something that uh, garnishes, garners respect. You think rather of an, a chaotic, out-of-control adult. That's not fear of God. Maybe that's not what you think of. Maybe you picture something even more intimate than that. Maybe you picture marriage. Some of you have been in a relationship with or had family who were in an abusive relationship. 
where someone in power who was supposed to protect and guide and love instead abused. That's not the fear of the Lord. Maybe some of you think about just a mass of people. A lot of us live every day afraid of people. That might be fear of getting sick. might be fear of your kids getting hurt by the world. might be fear of being hurt again by somebody. But it's possible, even in a church setting, to be surrounded by people and yet to feel completely alone, isn't it? Maybe you think of fear as the hardness of being in relationship with people. That's not fear of God. Others of us, when we think of fear, we, we think of doctors. We think of hearing that word cancer. That's not fear of God. Then, then what is it? If those aren't the images that the Lord is trying to get us to come up with and imagine, then what is it? Well, I, I slaved over this definition this week. had a really difficult time trying to articulate what exactly does it mean to fear God. Here's an attempt, and if you think you can summarize it better, I'd love to talk with you after, because I'm sure this is a concept that can be improved. But here's an attempt. The fear of God is an affectionate reverence for God that moves us to live in awe and respect of Him. I could say that again. The fear of God is an affectionate reverence for God that moves us to live in awe and respect of Him. If I was just going to say that a whole bunch of different ways, really fast, that might grab some of you in a different way. The fear of the Lord is a humble submission to Him, and it motivates us to serve Him and love Him, obey Him and trust Him and put faith in Him. It's not something that causes us to run from Him, but to run to Him. It's, it's a respect. Another way the Bible talks about fear is Fear of the Lord is hating evil and clinging to what's good. So it's, it's pushing away things that keep us from God and embracing the things that do. The fear of the Lord is a recognition that every moment of every day we are totally dependent upon God, that we're nothing without Him. And it's the recognition that that's who He is. The fear of the Lord is acknowledging God as first and foremost. I can say it again, it's not a negative fear. It's a positive fear. Have you ever met or even just been near a celebrity? Someone that you thought of as really, really amazing superstar? Not a rhetorical question. Anybody? Who'd you meet, Hansley? Serena Williams. Serena Williams. Yeah. Cool? Yes. Pat Boone? I don't even know who that is. <laughs> Sorry. Somebody else? No offense. Yeah. What? Roy Rogers. All right. Anybody else? Yeah. Jenny? Matt Williams. Denise? Donald Trump. <laughs> Interesting reaction from the crowd. Yes. Haley? Justin Bieber. You almost touched him. Okay, awesome. <laughs> yes. Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson. Wow, you guys are rock stars. Look at all this. Yes. Bruce Springsteen. Now you're just showing off. 
What happens when you come face to face or just in the same room with somebody that's really famous? There's a tiny bit of fear. There's this like speechlessness. That in a very minuscule, minor way is something of what the fear of the Lord is. It's, I've, I've thought about, read about, watched, dreamed about this person and wondered what I would say when I finally get to meet him. And then that moment comes and you're like, <laughs> that's a little picture of what the fear of the Lord is like. It's a respect of God. It's not a negative fear. It's a, it's a standing in awe and reverence of him. What is the fear of God? It's an affectionate reverence for God that moves us to live in awe and respect of him. Now, the harder question, why is that the foundation of knowledge? In all the situations that you and I face in life where the commandments of the Bible don't specifically answer what should we do, the thing that we need is wisdom. And how is it that the source of wisdom, the foundation, the ground, the bedrock is fear. Why is that the basis of how we relate to God? Why is fear the starting point? Well, let's go back to what wisdom is. Wisdom is skill for living a godly life. It's the ability to see things as they really are and to discern a right course of action when there are a myriad of options in front of us. Friends, that ability can only sprout from the fertile soil of the fear of God. Why? Because only God can properly order our minds, helping us see how the world actually works. Every day we are dazzled by bright and shiny things that lie to us and tell us life is about how much you get, how many degrees you have, how attractive the person you're with, how successful you can become, Everything we see every day tells us life is about externals, what's outside of us. But that's not true. Only God can remind us that life is about Him. And the spiritual world that we cannot see is ever bit as real as the physical world. And so why is the fear the foundation of knowledge? It's because only God can rightly order our thoughts. Only God can bring us back to reality. So, you see, wisdom flourishes in the hearts of people who say, God, you are God. And Chuck, you are not. Because every day, we want to climb back up on that throne and take that place that isn't ours. And we need to be reminded, God is God. I am not. Friends, whether you are a Christian for a week or a Christian for 50 years, you don't get past needing to know that and be reminded of that truth. That's the foundation. If we don't get that right, then we have no hope of wisdom because we're constantly putting ourselves back in God's place. And when we do that, we can say all to experientially to each other, it doesn't work. We mess up. We fail. We make mistakes. Without the fear of the Lord, then we put everything else in God's place and wonder 
Why is my life a wreck again? Without the fear of the Lord, we can't rightly grasp who we are and who He is. We can't possibly understand the complexities of life. See, the Bible paints the picture, as we sang this morning, that God is a holy God. And the other side of the same coin is that we are not a holy people in and of ourselves. God is most powerful. We are not. God is most wise. We are not. God is in control. We are not. God knows everything. We don't know very much. Friends, that is all of what the Bible means when it says the fear of the Lord is the very bedrock of wisdom. Think about God's creative power. God has the ability to simply say something and stuff happens. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And we know today more than any people who have ever lived know about how far space goes. No one can find the end. There are billions and billions and billions of galaxies. And God made them with words. Wow! That is a powerful God. Think of God's sustaining power. The scripture tells us not just God spoke things into existence and then he spun it like a clock and now it's going by itself. No, that's what I used to think. That's called deism. What the Bible actually says is the fact that there is air for us to breathe. The fact that you can hear the words coming out of my mouth. The fact that your heart is beating another time. All happens because of the sustaining power of God. Every moment of every day. The laws that bind things together are not arbitrary. They're the picture of a good, powerful, present, creative, sustaining God. That's power. Think of God's sovereign power. He is absolute over everything. The scriptures say, the most powerful people in the world, God can turn them like a river. He has the power to do anything he wants to do. That's amazing. Think of God's holiness. For all of eternity, God has been totally pure, completely set apart from evil, completely devoted to what is good forever. I haven't made it this morning like that. God is perfect. He's wonderful. God created us. He sustains us. He, he owns everything. And yet, left to our own devices, without reminders, we think we are big stuff. That's why the fear of the Lord is the foundation of knowledge. This world is not ours. God designed it. God made it. He sustains it. He's in charge of it. This is God's world. And if you and I want to be people who live in a complex world, then we have to start with the bare basic fact. God is God. I am not. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Now, how do we get it? If 
that's what it is and why it's the foundation, then how do we get a, a reverence and awe of God? Well, we could stay here all day and talk about the ways the Bible nurtures and cultivates that. But you probably didn't bring a lunch, so I'll just give you two reasons, all right? Here's where things take a really, really interesting turn. At one level, we could say growing in, knowing, experiencing the fear of the Lord comes simply through something old-fashioned that I grew up hearing and I just wanted to vomit every time somebody told me because I didn't find it true in my experience for a long time. And that's that the, the basis of an ongoing, abiding, growing, knowledgeable relationship with God is found through reading the Bible. Now, I'd love to come up with some really fancy, expansive, exciting new way, but I have no right to do that. See, the scriptures say that God is a speaking God and that God hasn't left us to wonder who he is, what he's done, what he's like, what he asks of us, and how to think about him. And so the problem isn't, in my case, the problem wasn't in the method. It was that I was not looking into the Bible to see God himself. He's just treating it more like a textbook. But the scriptures are the accurate, trustworthy, historical record of what God's done. And if we come to them with hearts desiring to learn, to meet with him, then over time, guess what happens? You meet with God. You hear from God. Now, I don't necessarily mean in an audible way, although that might happen to you. Most of us, it doesn't. That's not mainstream. But God is a speaking God, and God speaks through a book. And so, at one level, if we want to know the fear of God, then we've simply got to build into our lives praying the Bible, studying the Bible, reading the Bible, applying the Bible, and building a whole life around that. Let me show you that from a passage in the Scriptures. It'll be on the screens here behind me. This is from Deuteronomy 17, verse 18. Before I read it, just a couple of sentences about what's going on in this context. When God was about to take the Israelites out of their 40 years of wandering around in the desert into the Promised Land, He gave them the law... He gave them their instruction on how to live a second time. That's what the book of Deuteronomy is about. If you're unfamiliar with the story, uh, that's great. We're glad you're here. There's a lot of us here that likely didn't grow up with these stories. Maybe you're hearing them for the first time. Take the Bible in the seat in front of you, take it home with you, and start reading in it. The book of Exodus, so the second book in the Bible, describes God taking his people out of Egypt and leading them towards the land that we now call Israel. But they disobeyed God, and so he, he made them wander around in the desert for a long time. And then he gave them the book of Deuteronomy. He reminded them of how they should live as God's people in God's land. You with me? Okay, so that gets you caught up. He tells them, while you're in that land, you're going to want a king. 
And here's the kind of king you should want. Here's the kind of king you should follow. Here's what he says in verse 18. And when he, this is the king that would come forward. So we're looking back. All the kings of Israel are now gone. Most of them were were really lousy kings. A few of them were good. The ones that were good, godly kings, were marked by this. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest, and it shall be with him. He shall read it all the days of his life. Why? That he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of the law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. How does a person of ultimate power, which was a, a king, a monarch, How does a person in power learn to fear God? By carrying around his Bible. By acquainting himself often with the words of God. Brothers and sisters, if you consistently take in the scriptures and really think about them and apply them, then the Bible promises you will be growing in the fear of the Lord. Why? Because the Bible will bring you back again and again and again and again and again to reality. It will tell us the truth. It will tell us who he is and what he's done. So make the intake of God's word the unwavering commitment of your life every day. Every single day. How many of you have eaten something today? Most of us. Friends, we don't bemoan the fact that we need food every day. Our body tells us, and we've actually made great sport of it, have we not? The scriptures tell us that they are our spiritual food. How much more do we need spiritual food than even physical food? And as we take in the spiritual nature of God's word, then we're learning from Him. A great tool to help us do that is to take great pains and commitment in our membership to each other as a church family, to take all the opportunities provided to us as a church to take in the Scriptures, to make our shared life together, not a peripheral part of our life, but the very center, not the leftovers. So this would... Tell us really challenging things like don't flippantly take a job that would cause you to have to work on Sunday morning. Find something else. If you're considering moving away, don't just go. Look first and make sure there's a good gospel-centered, Bible-teaching church. Choose where you're going to live by proximity with other believers. Friends, if if the fear of the Lord is the foundation of knowledge, if we need wisdom that bad in normal life, if the scriptures are the food, and if the encouragement we receive from each other can keep us on the path, then, then this isn't a side, tangential part of life. It's towards the very essence of it. 
people, the people of God follow the word of God. That's what the fear of the Lord is. And so if we want to become people who understand how to live skillfully in the daily complex decisions we face, then we simply must become a people of the book. I recognize that's old-fashioned to say, but that's what God's given us. And it's great news because that means truth resides not inside of you, in your subjective feelings, but outside of us in objective fact. That makes it much more reliable, much less fickle, much more able to build our lives around it. And so let's be people that study the scriptures carefully, being careful to have the Bible reform our thoughts, have the Bible read us, not just us read the Bible, and to do that in community as we grow and pray for each other. We're becoming a church full of those kinds of relationships, aren't we? That's such a wonderful thing as more and more men organically are choosing to get together and read the scriptures and talk about them and pray, not in an, a formal way, but just taking initiative. Women doing the same thing. Older people gathering with younger people. That's what the church does. We gather around God's word so we can hear him and obey him. Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Are you getting the picture? This is everywhere in the Bible. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. The fear of God is something that has to be nurtured, has to be practiced. You don't just get it. Why? Because all of us by nature are sinners. We want to be in charge ourselves. And so we have to practice the fear of God. So at one level, it's as simple as that. Take the scriptures, read them, study them, let them read you, talk about them in community. But at a deeper level, there's something more that has to happen. It's, it's not just those good habits, those spiritual disciplines. Yes, at one level, we grow in the fear of the Lord through intentional exposure to the Bible, but at another level, something supernatural has to happen. Something we could say almost paradoxical. We have to come to grips with two truths that don't seem to fit together at all. On the one hand, there is the crushing holiness of God. And on the other hand, there is the shocking, wonderful graciousness of God. God is both all of the time. And we have to find how those work together. We have to experience that truth or we will not live with the fear of the Lord. In our remaining couple of minutes, let me see if I can describe that for you. Friends, we, we tend to think, here's God, 
And I don't tell anybody this, but here's me. And, and the rest of you, and we certainly don't say this, the rest of you are more kind of like down here. Our thoughts towards God are, are nothing like Him. The picture of the Bible, the picture of reality, isn't. God is amazing! And I'm pretty wonderful too. <laughs> Friends, it's, it's of a completely different nature. Oh, that we would repent of small thoughts of God and big thoughts of ourselves. It's not God and, and me and then my neighbors, my kids, my wife my church members, my co-workers, wildcat fans. <laughs> Friends, God is, is of a completely different quality. You've probably heard somebody say, well, when, when I get up to heaven, I've got a few questions for God. I'm going to ask him about this one. No, you're not. That is not going to be your reaction when you meet God. You know what the reaction of people in the scriptures is when they meet God? They fall on their faces. Why? Because they're afraid. Because reality gets peeled open when you see God. And his holiness is so bright, it's blinding. His power is so grand, it's scary. And so literally from Genesis to Revelation, when people see God, when they have an encounter with God, they don't say, geez, God, you're pretty cool, and I'm awfully good too. They fall on their faces in fear. you don't understand that about God, you don't understand God. And you need to pray that God would open your eyes, soften your heart, expand your mind. When you come to grips with the holiness of God, His judgment comes crashing down. And that sense in that moment is, I deserve nothing but judgment from God. Forever. Many of the churches in the United States are weak, pathetic, dying. Collections of people. A church is a group of people who have seen God in Christ in the scriptures and spiritually have fallen before him, recognizing I deserve nothing from God but judgment. Getting wisdom is seeing that because you have no hope of living 
in a world gone awry apart from a knowledge that there is a God like that and He's in charge. It's being demolished under the weight of our own sinfulness. It's recognizing that we're enslaved to sin and guilty of cosmic treason against our Creator. This is not popular thinking today, but it is historic biblical Christianity. It is where the power of God lies to live life with God. And so the fear of God starts way down deep with that. But the great news I have for you today is it doesn't end there. There's this word called gospel. And the gospel means that because of the hope of Jesus Christ, there is another hand over here. There's another character trait of God we get to experience, and it's God's graciousness. You see, the severity of my sin and my rebellion against God ought to be overcome only by the scandalous graciousness of God. The truth that I deserve hell, but Jesus gave himself for me. The truth that I was supposed to obey God and I didn't, so God himself came and did it for me. And then he gave himself as the sacrificial lamb, dying in our place, rising in victory to show God accepted that fact. That's the gospel. And the fear of God weds those two truths that don't seem to go together. It's paradoxical to think God is completely holy, and yet God is completely gracious, and yet that is God. And if we're going to be people of wisdom, we've got to see that that is the blending of the God of the Bible. That tension, that paradox between God's holy, I deserve to be pummeled, and God is stunningly gracious, and he accepts me, not by ignoring my sin, but by dealing with it in Christ. Oh, God, we fall on our faces in worship And then we stand in joy and call you Father. That is Christianity. Psalm 130 puts these two together. It says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Do you hear it? The crushing holiness of God God, even just an hour of the day, if I was to be judged forever based on an hour of the day, I would not make it. God, if if that's what you chose to think about, who could stand? But look, look at the next verse. But with you, there is forgiveness. Why? That you may be feared. God is glorified in our awe of him because that's when we see him as he really is. That's where the fountain of life and joy comes from. Not from a touchy-feely God who says, do whatever you want, I'm just a big granddaddy. But from a holy, gracious God. Reverent awe, trembling in amazement. Friends, the thesis 
of the book of Proverbs is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And as Ed Welch put it, the person who fears God will fear nothing else. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that these are hard truths. This is not the way our culture cultivates thinking. And inherently, we want to push against this picture. And yet, you've graciously given us the scriptures that we might really know who you are and what you're like and what you've done and what you ask. And I would pray on behalf of my brothers and sisters here, those who are members of this body, this family, we collectively say, God, we have not feared you as we should. Would you help us to recover the awe of you? Convict us where there is sin that we have arrogantly held on to, where there are lies that we have believed. And refresh our hearts anew and afresh with the gospel. And I also pray, Lord, for people who are here that aren't so sure about all of this stuff yet. I thank you, God, that Church on Mill is a place, is a people where Every week, people not yet sure about Christianity gather and they, they hear. I pray, Father, that they would stick around and ask some questions of somebody sitting around them. Now, God, as they read the scriptures, that you would guide them into truth. And I would pray that anything I've said that's not of you, that it would just fall from our minds and everything that is, that you would confirm it by your word. And God, motivate us as your people, to live wisely because we're so convinced that you are an awesome God. I pray all of this in Jesus' name.